G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. There is an unseen world that affects every area of your life every day of your life. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. We're in a series called Face to Face, about coming face to face with God. And this message is about the unseen world, what's going on behind the scenes in the spiritual realm, which affects the world we can see. Pastor Jeff is preaching from Revelation chapter 12. So let's get into it now on Today with Jeff Vines. Okay, Revelation chapter 12. Can you believe it? Revelation chapter 12. Now, it's very difficult to find two people that really agree about everything, isn't it? Very difficult. But there's something most of us, in fact, I would, I would dare to say that all of us agree on, and it's this, that we believe that there is an invisible world that greatly impacts the visible world. We believe that there's an unseen world that impacts the seen world. And you say, well, Jeff, I'm not sure I agree with that. You're going to have to prove it to me. Okay, Germex, right here. Every household family, it is a household name now. We believe that there is an invisible world that impacts the visible world. And, And here's the rub. Biologically, we don't deny it. But Jesus said, and in fact talks about it all the time, that there is a spiritual world that impacts the physical world and that seeks to do a lot of damage on you. That what is unseen has great impact on what is seen. And it's felt not just physically, not just relationally, husband, wife, other relationships, the way we think, the way we feel, the way you wake up in the morning and the attitude you have, you think it just appears out of nowhere, but there is an unseen world that affects every area of your life, every day of your life. And if you don't believe me, sometimes you don't need a microscope just to see it. All you need is a rear view mirror. Haven't you ever caught yourself thinking, I can't believe I did that. That was the dumbest thing. What was I thinking? How could I have been so confused? How could I, my thought process have been so twisted? How could I thought that was a great idea and that would work out for something good? I'm not not talking about like, man, I could have gone to Australia rather than Hawaii for vacation. Or, wow, I could have had a V8. Not that kind of decision. I'm talking about the kind of decision, I can't believe I hooked up with her. Or hooked up with him. Or hooked up with them. Or got addicted to that. 
I can't believe I didn't see it coming. But now it's so clear to me. How could I have been so deceived and so twisted when I can see things so clearly now? I want to tell you, I've been preaching a lot of years and every time I start down this path, that's when I lose people. I had a guy come up to me in my New Zealand church and said, Pastor Jeff, I love coming to this church. Man, you just kind of opened the word for me, make me realize what my life's about. But now you've lost me when you started talking about the twilight zone, the unseen world. (laughs) And we're like scientists in the day of Louis Pasteur. Remember what Pasteur said? He said, guys, these viruses and diseases, they don't just pop out of nowhere. There's an unseen world. Microorganisms travel and land on people and we get ill. And they said, let me get this straight. You're telling us that there's something I can't see that impacts what I can see. And it's like Twilight Zone music. (laughs) Okay, they got it. (laughs) But here's the thing. Here's what Jesus does. He gives a vision in Revelation chapter 12, and I don't want you to be afraid of it. And in the vision, he's trying to communicate one primary idea to John. He's trying to say to John, John, what you think you see is not all there is to be seen. There is an unseen world that greatly impacts the seen world, and it's been happening from day one. Now, you know what happens when I move the table over here. (laughs) Folks, I need to teach. I do some application. Sometimes I major in philosophy or theology or apologetics, but not today. I need you to put your thinking cap on. I need you to follow me. And I just want to give you a little warning. Think, Think about just for a second. This is my new phone. That's right. Now, this was my old phone. Kind of a step up, eh? See, I didn't go the middle ground. I went from this to that. And I did it because Dana Erickson, our executive pastor, said, hey, man, you got to come in the 21st century. I mean, you're getting behind on emails. I mean, I get literally hundreds of emails. I can't keep up with them if I've only got my laptop. So this baby right here, email. I'm at the gym. I'm breathing heavy. Between two sets, I just sit down, answer an email. That's right. But If you were to see this, now think about this as contrasting as this is. What if I showed you one of the originals by Alexander Graham Bell and you saw that and then you saw this, what are you going to say? Man, what is that? Man, what is That's archaic, man. I don't understand it. How does that even work? And it's got a wire and I can't walk so far. It doesn't have texting. See, when John sees the vision in Revelation 12, he knows exactly what's going on. He thought, wow, that's, that's good. I mean, that's great. You see it like, what on earth is that? It has three major players to it, but he knows who it is and what it is. The first is this. He sees a woman clothed with the sun. As a matter of fact, the moon is under her feet and there's a, cry, a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant. She cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Now, folks, listen. There's a tendency in a message like this to turn me out. And you know why? Well, you'll know why as we go through it. And that's voice that's telling you to forget it and think about something else that's from another place, from the unseen world. Because the unseen world doesn't want you to know this. And so he sees this vision. And to him, it would have been plain as the nose on his face. He sees a woman clothed in the sun and the moon. The celestial is always above and more authoritative than the terrestrial, the land. So he's automatically going to assume that whoever this woman is, she's got great power and great authority. And then he sees the stars. And the stars represent the messengers of God. They're referred to sometimes as the angels. In fact, Lucifer, the devil, was called the morning star before the fall occurred. Right? Isaiah 14, 12. And so he sees the sun and the moon. He sees the stars. He says, whoever this woman is, man, she represents power, authority, and she's a messenger from God. And then the dead giveaway is when he sees that she has 12 stars on her head. 
Well, the number 12 is the number for God's people. 12 apostles, 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel. That's why people get confused when they see 144,000 in Revelation. They think, oh my, what's this? And they tried their best. They go, this has to be 144,000 people. And I wonder if I'm in the number. If I'm not, it's going to be really bad. People just panic and get all crazy with this stuff. But when you're in the book of Revelation, numbers have symbols. They're symbolic. They're metaphorical. So 144,000, that is a number that is multiples of what? 12 times 12 times 10 times 10 times 10. The number 10 means completion. So it's just a symbol to tell you who's going to go to heaven. All God's people. And that was really hard, wasn't it? So the first thing he sees, he sees this woman who has power and authority. She's a messenger and she represents the people of God. But wait a minute, this woman gives birth to a child and we're assuming the child is gonna be Jesus. How does that work? Well, Israel, they were also the people of God. And in a real way, they did give birth to the Messiah because Jesus came through the lineage of David. So here we have first player, major player, a woman clothed with a son. Player two, a dragon. Now you and I don't like that. All right, you think, what is a dragon? Seven heads, come on, what is that? A red dragon? And this red dragon has 10 horns, seven crowns on his head, and his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them where? To the earth. Now, again, don't freak out. Remember, cell phone, old phone, cell phone. It's okay. John sees this, seven heads. Oh, that is the number for perfection or completion. How, how often do you forgive somebody? Seven times 70. 490? No, every time. Completion till the job is done. So this is somebody with great authority, seven heads, top again. He's in charge of something. Whoever the dragon is, he's got authority. And 10 horns. Horns is a symbol referring to nations. So whoever this guy is, this red dragon, he has authority and he has some kind of relationship or association with earthly kingdoms. And then we're told that he wears a crown or crowns. But now let me take a breath here. There are two types of crowns. It's important that you know that in Greek. Greek is the language that Bible was originally written in. And you have the Stephanos crown, which is the crown of victory, and the diadem crown, which is the crown of authority, but not victory. Now, the bad guys never wear the Stephanos crown. They only wear the diadem crowns. So here's a guy that wears the diadem crown. He has power, he has authority, and he has some association with earthly kingdoms. But the dead giveaway is when the dragon takes his tail and he sweeps a third of the stars toward the earth. What is this? Well, if you know the story in the Old Testament, you'll know the Bible tells us that Satan was once Lucifer, an angel, and even in heaven, God gives you free will. You don't have to stay if you don't want to. And he said, I don't want to stay. I'm going to rebel and do my own thing. Isaiah 14, 12 how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And then he led an insurrection and he took a third of the angels with him. They then became demons. Now, hold on a second. This is about the point where you're thinking, oh my goodness, 21st century, Jeff, 21st century. Really? Demons, evil, unseen world. Well, the Bible says that there's power and authority as they go, went down to the earth. Now the power and authority is here. You think about what John taught. He said, we know that we are children of God, you and me. We're good in the kingdom, children of God. But the whole world lies under the power, sway, influence of the evil one. That's why Jesus said, look, there's no middle ground. You're either for me or you're against me. Because if your heart is not being transformed daily by the power of the Holy Spirit, then if you're not being guided by God, you're being guided by something else because on this earth, 
In this world, there is a prince or power of the air who will deceive you, who will trick you, who will lead you where he wants you to go. And if you're not protected by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be halfway down that path of destruction before you wake up. You may never wake up. Before you know it, you're destroyed. That's the bottom line. So isn't it interesting? I still get surprised when Christians expect non-Christians to act like Christians. (laughs) Why are you shocked when dictators... And evil leaders and authoritative people make decisions that are ungodly and not consistent with the word of God because they're led astray and actually think what they're doing is right. Now, again, here we are. Some of you are skeptics. You're thinking, Pastor Jeff, come on, 21st century, the devil, the evil world. It's like the twilight zone again. You just hear the music in your head. (laughs) You just hear it. There it is. Now, the question is, what is the relationship between the woman, people of God, and the dragon, the devil. The Bible says in the same vision that the dragon stands in front of the woman and he's waiting for something. He's waiting for the child to be born so that he can devour it. And then the woman gives birth to a male child who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. Up, oh, dead giveaway. Now we know who it is. Old Testament, Jesus. All right, here we go. He's the one that will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And the child was snatched up to God. You say, but wait a minute. Jesus wasn't snatched up to God. Yes, he was. He was born, ministry, and then his ascension. And apocalyptic literature, which means revelation-type literature that talks about the future, has a tendency to focus on the general, not the, not the specific. So now we know who it is. Now, here's the question, though. Wait a minute. I thought it was Herod who tried to kill Jesus. Now, this is where it starts for John. Jesus is trying to tell John, hey, what you saw happening while I was on earth, there was a lot more happening. The unseen was impacting the seen world. And remember what happened with Herod? The Magi had been following the star and they wanted to find the Messiah, the king of the Jews. And they went to Herod because they thought, surely this king will know. The king didn't know. But he said, I'll tell you what, when you find him, come back and tell me where he is so I can find him and go worship him too. Big lie. He wanted to kill him. And what happened? Matthew chapter two, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi because God warned the Magi in a dream and told them, don't go back to Herod, go home another way. They did. He was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years and older, uh, sorry, two years old and younger in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now look up and think with me. Come on, we're moving. We're almost done. Well, not with the sermon, just with the imagery. (laughs) What kind of man, what kind of man, don't, don't put this in fairy tale land. This is history. What kind of man decides one day and thinks it's a good idea that he's gonna go door to door with his messengers in Bethlehem knock on the door, say, excuse me, madam, do you have any children? Yes. Are they two years or younger? Yes. And then he kills them. This is systematic genocide all the way back then. Now, what kind of man does that? You know what Jesus is trying to communicate to John and to us in Revelation? He's trying to say, you might see Herod and his men doing his thing, but the devil's hovering over them, using them, coercing them, manipulate them to do the evil that he wants to get done. And if you're not protected by the spirit of God in you, you can be led astray and do things that just seem downright twisted, right? Player three. So we got the woman, we got the people of God, we got the dragon, the devil, and then I love this guy. I love the third guy, Michael, the archangel. That's what I'd like to be when I grow up. Michael, the archangel. Because if you were to ask Michael, if you read all the New Testament, hey, hey, Michael, what do you do for a living? Here's what he'd say. I kill bad things. That just sounds fun. I kill bad things. And John is hearing Jesus. And Jesus says, everything you saw while I was on planet earth, while I was God in the flesh, everything you saw 
There was more to it because as I'm living my life here, trying to accept and complete the role of Messiahship where he's going to die for your sins and mine, he says, the same time I'm living, there's war in heaven. Verse seven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. Now you think about how this happens. Just, just think with me. It's interesting dialogue here. What happens as soon as Jesus accepts the role of Messiahship to die on the cross for your sins and mine, he goes out into the wilderness to pray and who meets him there? So as soon as he makes a decision to accomplish the will of his father, who shows up? And he says to him, hey, why don't, you're hungry, you've been fasting, why don't you turn this stone into some bread? Now there's nothing wrong with turning stone into bread if you're hungry, right? But it was a spiritual distraction. He wanted Jesus to concentrate on the physical need rather than the spirituality. Isn't it interesting? As soon as you make up your mind that you're going to start praying and having your devotions, don't you find it interesting that your mind thinks about a thousand other things and you can't concentrate? Where does that come from? Is it from God? Or is the unseen world impacting the seen world? Then he says to him, why don't you just throw yourself down? Just dive right on down. And if you're really the Messiah, God will send his angels and save you. See, a little doubt in Jesus' mind. What do you mean, if I'm the Messiah? Isn't that what he does? He likes to try to challenge you, to tell you that you're not really worth anything. You're worthless. You might as well end your life. I mean, you're pathetic. Why do you even get up in the morning? I can't understand that. And it just keeps going, those, those voices in your head. You think that comes from the unseen world, maybe? And then he says, okay, since you want to do that, just bow down and worship me. I'll give you everything. Now, first, it wasn't all of his to give, but notice what happens here. This, I wish I had more time. This would be a whole sermon. Think about it. Satan is saying this to Jesus. Why go to the cross and then get everything? Just be a dazzling Messiah. Dazzle us with all kinds of feats and worship me. I'll give you everything now and you don't have to go through the suffering Messiahship. You see, the whole time Jesus is on earth, Satan knows I've got to either kill him or cause him to sin. If I call him, cause him to sin, he has to die for his own sins. He can't die for anybody else's. And if I can kill him before he gets to the cross, it'll ruin everything. And as soon as Satan sees that Jesus is pretty strong, what does he do? He turns his attention to other humans and tries to get them to do his dirty work for him. So you go over to John 11. I mean, you think about it. When's the last time you saw a person raised from the dead? Okay, it's been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> Bethany. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Come out. He walking out. Unloose him, let him go. I love the King James Version. It says, and behold, there was a stink. Because he was, all right, behold, he stinketh. And, and all the crowd in Bethany, they're all there. And they're like, man, this is really, you'd think the response would be, let's all follow this guy. This guy conquered death. He knows the way, let's go. What was the response? Well, John eleven fifty three. 53, from that day on, they plotted to kill him. How does that work? How does that, okay, he did something really good. Let's kill him. And Jesus took the threat seriously because the next verse says, therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. What's happening here? How can you be so twisted to kill a guy who raised somebody from the dead? Is there, is there an unseen world that's impacting? Is there war in heaven? Confusion. And then when Jesus gets into the garden, oh, now Satan really steps up the attack. You think about it. Now, all of a sudden, vicious beatings, a scourging, which Jesus encountered was called halfway death because in Roman culture, most people died before they ever got to the cross through the 39 lashes, you know, the bone designed to extract the flesh as it's pulled away. If you saw Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion, forget Mel Gibson, but remember The Passion. <laughs> 
It was historically very good stuff there. Um, Jesus looked at the, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the religious leaders, and he said, for which of these great works, the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, do you kill me for? Why do you want to kill me? And then, of course, he's in the garden, and he's so anxious about what he's about to face. And the Bible says the angels come and do what? Strengthen him. Was that Michael? Hey, Jesus is feeling a little down. Get down there, man. Get down there. Take care of him. Remind him who he is and what he's about to accomplish. And now we all like to quote Hebrews 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So Jesus is just trying to say to John, John, there's so much more you didn't see. There was war. There was a battle in heaven, the dragon. There's a woman and God's protecting his people. And then when Jesus fulfilled his mission, it's beautiful. I can't do the rest of it, but it says that the devil and his angels were thrown out of heaven, that they could no longer accuse you and me. God said, talk to the hand. Why? Why? Because before, before Jesus' death, he could talk to God. But now he says, look at that guy, Jeff Vines. Man, he's a preacher in the church. And you know, he talks a good game, but I'm telling you, he's got weaknesses. And here's what God says. Don't you think I know that? Dealt with it. Forgiven. Past. Present. Futures. Son of God. Do you know? That's, that's how he looks at every single one of you. So when that guilt starts coming, those things start happening, I'm forgiven. Now, you still got to do better. You don't want to quench the fire of the spirit, but hey, that's the battle. Now, here's the bad news. <laughs> Satan's mad. He's thrown out of heaven. Can't talk to God no more. And what does he do? Woe to the earth and sea because the devil has gone to you. He's filled with fury because he knows his time is short. He says, I'm doomed. That's it. Game over. But I'm going to take as many of you guys I can with me. The unseen world. It's a bit of a heavy point to pause on, but we will have to stop it there for today. We'll continue the rest next time. So join us then as we continue this exploration of how the spiritual battle behind the scenes affects our daily life. You're in a battle, man. When you're in a battle, bullets come at you. Fiery darts, Paul calls them, are coming your way. Until you admit there's an unseen world that impacts the seen world, you're going to be fighting a battle. You're going to lose a lot of battles. Hopefully someday you won't lose the war. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.